me back up. So, well, first of all, let me say, I've got a lot going on in my mind and my world because it, it ties to this, and we may come into this another time, but I will say this kind of humorously. I'm thankful for someone that I love so much and, and appreciate so much, and they said to me this past week, they said, I'm bringing a visitor Sunday. Could you please be on your best behavior? <laughs> So I'm going to do my very best to be on my best behavior. I'm not sure what my worst behavior is, but I'm going to try, my, try to be on my best behavior. But what I'm about to speak on, I'm very passionate about, and I have some experience with what the church of experience uh, and the angle of expectation outside of experience. There should be in all of us. An expectation for the things of God that are out. I don't know when it was, a few weeks ago. We were in intercession on Wednesday mornings. I encourage you to come. It's powerful. It's awesome. And we were in intercession, and, and I was just sharing uh, two things that Holy Spirit had put in my heart uh, about teaching. And I was very excited about getting to those. And during intercession, someone said something or did something that really reminded me of things Holy Spirit had put in me. One of them was, I had mentioned to the intercessors that morning, I mentioned to them, I said, one of those words is, uh, it's not just a name. And that was one of the messages. And the other one was revival. What is revival? Now, I knew I was getting ready to start, it's not just a name. I did not know when I would begin teaching on what Holy Spirit was beginning to put in me about revival. And then it was just a day or two later, um, Wesbury. I had not heard anything about it. I've, and since, that, since he asked me about it, I've only heard maybe one thing regarding that revival. Um, it doesn't make it valid or invalid because I've heard about it. It just means I haven't heard a lot, of, almost, I've heard almost nothing about it. And, um, but it is there. It's present. Something's going on in Asbury College. And, and I'm thankful for whatever expression we have where people are pressing into the kingdom of God, I'm always thankful for whatever expression that that might be. I never have if it were all Baptists. You know, I would believe it was revival if it were all Pentecostals or if it were all Catholics or if it were all whatever. And, and, I, and our heart should always be to never try to define a move of God based on our preconceived ideas. Somebody say Amen. So intentionally, because I knew I was going to be preaching this message, I did not look at it. I have not looked at it online. I've not gone. In, the only time I've heard about it was one from Sam and then two from my wife. She said, have you heard about that revival? I said, yes, Sam mentioned it to me. That's it. That's the entirety of my understanding and knowing of anything that's going on at Asbury College. I have not heard one more thing about it um, from anyone at all. And so I don't know what's going on there. My hope and my prayer is that what is going on in there is so infectious that the entire world is impacted by it. That's my hope and my prayer. But I also know that whatever's or whenever the Holy Spirit was going to have me preach this particular message. So with that said, what I want to say to you today is I am teaching today on that word or event, uh, whatever you want to call it, I am preaching on that particular word we refer to or the world refers to so often as revival. You won't find that word in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. You won't find it. So I'm going to start today by saying revival is not determined by a word attached to it. It is determined by the spirit that is found in it. And say it again. 
Revival is not confirmed or affirmed. It is not justified by a name that is attached to it. It is affirmed and it is justified by the spirit that exists within it. In Matthew chapter 22, I want to begin reading there, verses 36 through 38 say this. Jesus says this. He says, man says this to him. Says, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. I want to say again what he said. You shall love the Lord your God with all. Everybody say all. All your mind with body, soul, and spirit, with every fiber of who you are. Jesus said, this is the commandment, the first and most important. You shall love the Lord your God with all that you on this particular verse and what revival is, that I am not the Debbie Downer of revivals. <laughs> I'm not that guy, though I've had some pretty strong comments to make about revivals in the past, and I might even make one or two today. But I am not the Debbie Downer of what we call in the church world or in the modern world, I am not the Debbie Downer of revivals. In fact, let me give you a little brief history of my own and revivals. I preached what was and still is referred to as revivals consistently from 1989 through 1996. I traveled either alone or with my wife, all West Virginia, Arkansas, Ohio, Michigan, Illinois, and Texas, 14 states. In those seven years, we traveled all over, the, all over those states in those seven years. These meetings that would take us away from our home for up to two months at a time, we would be gone. And at that, the last half of that time, we were carrying around my daughter Kaylee in the back seat of a car until it became a minivan. The time that we were ever gone was actually 10 weeks. For 10 weeks, we left our home, we hit the road, and we were gone for 10 full weeks and did not see our home again until we returned. And we were doing at that time what we knew to do and what we understood to be revivals. We were invited one way or the other, and I'll tell you how some of that occurred in just a moment, but we were invited... Uh, to different churches to go and to preach, and we would go from one church to another church to another church. Now, keep in mind that most of these did not happen because of a present move of God, Cal. They began, most of them, because I was calling random churches out of the yellow pages. It's a true statement. These meetings, these revivals began because I was calling random churches. I know a lot of you don't even know what yellow pages are. Back then, it was a book as thick as this platform. <laughs> and back then, I would go from place to place. And I, first, I started, and I'm just telling you how this happened. And I can tell you that I'm certain, at least I'm pretty certain, that I'm not the only person that did this. But in the beginning, when I knew that Holy Spirit had called me to go and to teach and what we called at the time evangelism, um, I believed with all my heart that I was an evangelist. Everybody told me that because I talk fast and because I preach loud. And, and uh, everybody said, you must be an evangelist. And uh, so I pressed into that. And for those seven years, at the beginning of those seven years, I did a mail order and I called and I received yellow pages phone book, yellow page phone books from numerous different cities and different places that I had either been or felt like was a place that I needed to go to preach a message. And I would receive these yellow pages in the mail, and I would take these, and, and I would flip through those yellow pages. And, and when I would get a call, I'd go to one church, 
for instance, and I would preach in this particular church. And when I preached a meeting in that church, whether it be for three days, five days, or two weeks, however long the quote-unquote revival meeting was, I'd pull to Christ. It's amazing. The meeting's great. You need to call him and, and you need to invite him to your church. So they would call me and then I would go to another church and I would go from one to the next to the next to the next. Or if I was in a city and no one was calling because maybe the meeting wasn't so exciting. But I knew that to drive all the way to Dallas, Texas, or to Waco, Texas, or to drive all the way to Lima, Ohio, or wherever it might be, that I might be going Chicago, Illinois, and I, Illinois, and I might be going up there to, to preach. I knew that in, to get up there and preach, there was a practical side to my going. There was also the sense that in order to go up there and preach, I cannot go and preach at one church and then be able to afford to get home. So it's important that I have more than one place to go. And I would go, and if I received a call from a church in, for instance, this church in Chicago, Illinois, I received a call from them, can you come and preach? I certainly will. I never said no. And I would go, and we would settle the dates, whatever those dates were, we would settle those dates. I'd put it on my old calendar that I had that you wrote in, and I'd put that on there before I would go to that meeting. I'd pull out those yellow pages, and I would call any church, that was in those yellow pages, and I would say, my name is Steve Parker, I'm an evangelist, and I'm going to be preaching at Yada Yada's church on such and such a date. While I'm there, I would love to come and do a revival at your church if you'll have me. Surprisingly, someone would say, absolutely, come on these dates, come the week after, come that Sunday, or they would say, let me call that pastor and see how you've done there before. Long story short, it always was determined not based on the Word of God, it was determined based on the word of somebody. And I, can, I know this, that in that time, I don't disparage those days of little things or lack of knowledge or understanding on my part. I don't put those off and I don't look mildly on those days. While some might say, well, I'm certain that he would have been prepared and he would have told the disciples, call every synagogue in the area and let them know I'm on my way. This is what I know. In those times that I would call people in those yellow pages and I would speak to whoever it was, out of those people that I spoke to, there was still to this day, there's a couple of, there's actually two preachers that we knew then that my wife and I still have some quasi-relationship with today. They're Facebook friends still communicating with today. And I'm thankful that in those particular churches, when I went based only on a yellow page experience, and I did a meeting in those churches, both of those churches, numerous times after the meeting was over would call and say, can you come back? Or before the meeting was over would say, can we schedule the next meeting now before you leave? And I went back to both of those churches many, many times. A lot of churches I went to over and over, 103 churches I preached at. So there was a lot of churches revivals. You have probably been a part of one of those meetings, whether I was teaching it or someone else was. A meeting that would have been defined as a revival. I tried to find a clip this morning, one of my first revivals. I, you saw it a couple years ago, a few years ago. But one of you found something to hold against me for the rest of my life. and I think it was my daughter. But a clip of one of the very first tent meetings I did in Macon, Georgia, or Warner Robins, Georgia. I was in Warner Robins, was one of the first revival meetings that I ever did, and I was invited to participate in it, and we set up a big tent, seated 300 people in the middle of Warner Robins, an Air Force Base city, set that tent up in the middle of a, a field, a, a cleaned out cornfield, 
put that tent up, announced everywhere, sent out mailers and everything, set that all up and announced that Steve Parker was going to be present in this particular revival. And went to that revival and it was the first time I ever went under a tent and stood on that platform with Buford Dowell on the Hammond B3 organ, C3 organ, and I'm standing when I watch the video. I had an accent that I don't even know where that came from, to be honest with you. Um, I think I was, I was like some of you. You can be around someone with a different accent for five minutes and suddenly you take it upon yourself. Well, at that time I was living in Georgia and somehow I think I picked that up. But um, I don't even recognize my... In fact, if I heard my... Vo- uh, yeah, MC Hammer Pants. That, uh, man, I had it going on in my shirt that had glitter sparklies all over it and long hair and... Um, I'm going back to that. Next Sunday, I'm bringing those MC Hammer pants and that sparkly shirt. And next Sunday, I will have hair down to my shoulders. But I'll know, I know this. I did that meeting in that tent, and I did a lot of tent meetings, but that was the first. And, and I remember doing, that's before I even knew my wife. I didn't know her yet. But I did that tent meeting in Warner Robins, Georgia, and it went from there, went to Macon, and it went to, we did some in Tennessee. I went hither and yon. We were setting up that tent everywhere that we went. It was a lot of work. It was a lot of effort. And what I know is I look back and laugh today, and I don't recognize the me today, the me then that I am today. I don't see the same person, but this is what I know about those meetings. I can tell you, maybe it's true, and maybe you know somebody, but no one has ever stood on a platform before. No one has ever stood behind a pulpit that was any more passionate than I was on that day. No one, not Paul, not Peter, not James or John, no disciple, no preacher from the beginning of time until now was ever any more passionate than Steve Parker on the day that I stood behind that pulpit and I began to scream at those people and tell them how much they needed Jesus Christ. And in the middle of that, what you might not have caught is my misuse of a particular scripture. It's true. In my excitement, and I do that even today. Sometimes I get names wrong. I've always got the wrong guy in the tree that came to see Jesus. <laughs> but no one ever stood behind a pulpit that was any more passionate than me to lead people to Christ. And even today, I will tell you that I know a lot of people. And you might say, well, I know a lot of people more passionate than you, but I don't. The most passionate person that I know that wants people to come to Christ and wants people to know Christ, that believes with all of my heart what I said a couple of weeks, passionate about people coming to Christ. I'm very passionate about helping people come to the place where they put away and put aside and put off those things that do not honor God and come to the place where they live a life that in every way honors Him. In every way, they can stand up in the, in the morning, get out of their bed in the morning or go to bed at night knowing, I live my life today to honor the Father and I'm passionate about it and I will not be found today A day that has not yet been given to me fully. I'm waking up this morning and I'm existing in this moment right now. And there is a day that is set before me. And I will not go to bed tonight knowing or believing or accepting that somehow the time that is given to me that is right before me, I will not be the one to violate that holy time and that holy invitation. But I want to be the guy. When I get up, I recognize and say, Father, whatever is in this day before me, help me choose well. Help me choose well. Help me honor what honors you. Help me bless what blesses you. Help me be a part of what gives you glory. And help me walk away from what does not. 
Help me recognize what is holy and help me wreck death. These meetings didn't begin because of a present move of God. They began because literally in every way I was doing all I knew to do to, to reach out to a people that somehow, even though I never met these people, somehow I believe, somehow, somehow, Holy Spirit, you can use me to change a people, whether they're in Chicago or Tennessee or whether they're in Ohio, whether they're in Kentucky, it doesn't matter where they're at. They could be in the middle of nowhere, and some of those places were. They could be in the, in the middle of nowhere, but Holy Spirit, I believe and know with all of my heart that you have prepared this day, this time, this moment. You prepared me for this. You forgave me. You received me as a son in the confidence you have in me. May I, in turn, be able to express that in whosoever will hear the word of the Lord. In those seven years, I saw many, a lot of people receive Christ and added to the kingdom. A lot of people. But I do not recall a single testimony because in those meetings when we would come every, and we have the flyers, I've got them in a folder somewhere, all those flyers from way back in the tent meetings or wherever we went, there was always a, a newspaper ad or something that would go out and, and uh, they're funny to see today. But all of those meetings were always called revivals, revival meeting with evangelist Steve Parker, evangelist Steve Parker in revival, these dates, extended meeting with evangelist Steve Parker on whatever those dates were. All of these meetings always had that word revival in there as the church knew it. They were calling... In one of the churches that Kim and I preached at and we went to... Well, let me, let me just say it. In one of the churches that we ministered and preached at, they became very good friends of ours. In fact, they're one of the people that we still communicate with today. Not often, but we do. But in one of those particular churches, when I went there and I walked in, and Kim and I were sitting at the table on a Saturday night, I'd preached for them a lot, a number of times prior to that. Beautiful family, beautiful people, incredible. They love God with all their heart. And I'd preached for them many times. And I'm sitting at the table, Kim and I are, on a Saturday night before service the next morning. We got there Saturday afternoon. We stayed in their house. We come up for dinner, we're sitting at the dinner table, and we're sitting there, and I'll just say his first name, I'll just say is Charles. And, and I said to him, I said, well, Charles, do you have any expectation for this meeting? Do you have any expectation for what this is? And even way back then, even before I understood what I do today about revival, even before that I knew that what we were calling revival was not the same way God defined revival. Because there was always that same thing that I said a moment ago. We applied the definition before there was the testimony. And I said, what are your expectations? And he said, this is what I want. And it was back in the days when there was a particular preacher that was actually local, but there was a particular preacher that was well known for blowing on people. In fact, some of you might have been present in that. Whether or not that was real or not real is not for me to decide. There are people whose lives have been changed drastically because of the ministry of that man. I'm not interested in his failings. I'm interested in how God used him to create life in people. And he said, well, you know, 
such and such a person right now, this is, this is what's going on, man. It's revival, man. He's blowing on people, and they're falling out everywhere. And I've told you this story before, but some of you haven't heard it. And, I, and he said, that's what I want you to do. <laughs> of course, my wife knows what I'm thinking as we sit at that table. And I'm trying to think, he's my friend. He trusts me, and I trust him. And I want to approach this graciously. And I said, I'm not doing that. <laughs> and he said, well, that's why I brought you here. Because I want you, it's working for him. And I need that in my house, in my church, in my people. I said, well, Charles, I'm not doing that. I said, first of all, if you wanted that, you should have called him. Amen. But that's not my anointing. That's not how God uses me. And I'm not doing that. Subject changed. We finished eating our spaghetti. Go to bed that night. We talked a little bit. We go to bed. We get up the next morning. We go to church. We, I go in his office before service starts. We're in there talking. And he said, Steve, I'm, I, really, I really want you to do that. I said, Charles, you want what you're not getting. I'm not going to fake it. I'm not a pretender. I believe that God can change people that God wants to change, and He doesn't always change them the same way. His mode of operandi is not always the same. And He said, well, that's what I want. And I said, well, I'm not going to do that. I am going to preach. And he said, okay. And I thought it was settled. I go out there and I preach and I minister. And I invite people to come forward. And it's a good-sized church. And I invite people to come forward, and they come, and they're lined up across the front of the church, and I'm praying for them, just ministering to each one. I don't remember what I preached, but it didn't have anything to do with breath particularly that day. <laughs> and I'm ministering to each one. He said, the reason I brought Steve here is because, or the evangelist, the reason I brought the evangelist here is because I want the evangelist, I believe that this, the move of God right now is on breathing and blowing on people. That's how God's moving. So I've invited Steve here. Him here so that he could breathe and blow on you. And I believe that when he does that, now in my mind, I'm, I'm like you. I'm standing there and I'm, I'm about to laugh. I'm feeling it. And I'm feeling anger. I'm feeling used. From a friend, manipulated, which is witchcraft. And I'm standing there and he's telling the people and he's about to blow on you and he's about to breathe on putting me on the spot. And I'm standing there and he talked for probably five minutes explaining why that was so important and so on and so forth. And finally he gives the mic back to me. Here, Steve, have it, have at it, whatever he said. And I just said to the people, I said, I'm going to continue to pray for each of you and do exactly what Holy Spirit told me to do. And he has not told me to breathe or blow on anyone and I will not be doing it. I said, I am not going to pretend. Same thing I said to him, I'm not going to pretend. I've come here with a message. If you can receive the message as he has put it in me, it will change your life. And I prayed for the people when I was done. He was not, a, he was not happy. He came up and he did all the blowing thing. Nobody fell out. Nobody went anywhere. He was blowing. I mean, he would blow until he was dizzy. <laughs> but nothing happened. Nothing happened. He never had us back. 
to minister. But it didn't change the fact that I still respect the man because what that was born out of was a deep passion for a move of God. And the longer you are without something, the more hungry you become for something. So Holy Spirit gave this to me. Oh, let me just, before I get there, I want to say this. During these times of revival, of meetings, of evangelism and what have you that Kim and I were doing, we did actually see moments where there was a, a true hunger, that there were people that really, they wanted it all. I, you know, we again, very quickly I'll tell this story because I, I told you I was going to be brief today. Because I want you to have an understanding of revival and what it looks like and how it's defined. And we witnessed true hunger in some of these meetings to the point, though, of duplicating history, which is exactly what Charles was expecting. He was so passionate for it. But in order to get it, he did not ask for it in the way that the Father wanted to deliver it. He wanted Moses... God wanted Moses to speak to the rock. But because striking the rock first worked, why not strike it again? And Holy Spirit gave me this, and I want you to write it down this morning. When the tree, it's in your notes if you're following on the app, but when the tree is sought after, without understanding the acorn it grew from, the tree will never be, without understanding the acorn it grew from. The tree will never be found. There's a writer that writes uh, articles, different articles related to the church. His name is Patrick Morley, and he describes revival like this. He said, During a spiritual revival, God supernaturally transforms believers and non-believers in a church, locale, region, nation, or the world through sudden and intense enthusiasm for Christianity. When people sense the presence of God powerfully, conviction, despair, contrition, repentance, and prayer come easily. People thirst for God's Word. Many authentic conversions occur and backsliders are renewed. I want to give you a few reference points for revival as we know it in our mind. In fact, when I say this, what I'm going to ask you is just to give me a show of hands or who are familiar with these first few that I'm going to mention. Um, so revivals in the 90s that you might be aware of, how many are uh, familiar with the Toronto Blessing? Just hold your hand up. Just a few. How many are familiar with the Melbourne Revival? Two. How many are familiar with the Modesto Revival? None. How many are familiar with the Brownsville Revival? How many are familiar with the upper room in Acts chapter 2? How many are familiar with Jesus' Sermon on the Mount? Hmm. Am I making a point? How many are familiar with Azusa Street Revival? Hmm. You're probably sitting here 
because of it. See, revival isn't, as I said earlier, revival to define a revival before there is even a testimony of it. It's completely contrary to the principles of the kingdom of God, which requires that first there is a seed, and the seed is followed by fruit. If we refine or define revival simply based on an emotional response, if we define revival simply because suddenly a thousand people got louder, if we define revival like that, we are missing the point of what revival is, is did those thousand people that were loud on Sunday night and those thousand that prayed on Monday morning, where were those thousand on Friday afternoon? Revival isn't a wind that blows in and blows out. It's interesting to me how many of you are aware of the Azusa Street Revival when during those days there was no such thing as digital media. And yet the other revivals that I mentioned, there's just a few of you, a couple of those revivals nobody even knew about. And all of those happened in the, day, in the days in the age of digital media where everybody's Instagramming and Facebooking and doing all of that. And yet... Still don't know. In the Brownsville revival, the Brownsville was up in up north, or up uh, Pensacola. And I remember in that particular revival, in fact, my wife and I, or no, it wasn't my wife and I, it was me and, and another pastor at the Rock of uh, Panama City. This is, in fact, you were with me that, you were with us that trip. It was me, Joe Howard, and you. And during the Brownsville revival, and we were up, we lived in Panama City at the time. And there was a lot of energy and excitement about the Brownsville revival and all that God was doing at the Brownsville revival and how everybody was standing outside and waiting an hour to get into the church. Why not just take it out in the parking lot, first of all? But waiting to get in the church. And during that exciting time, during those months when the drive over, let's just see. Let's just witness it with our own eyes. We weren't going with a heart to say, to judge it. I was going because I was genuinely, I want to know, what, what is God doing in Pensacola, Florida, at Brownsville Assembly of God? What is God doing? And we loaded up in my car. And we got about five miles outside of Panama City. True story. We're out. Suddenly, a lightning thunderstorm comes up. Lightning, you saw it, you felt it. It struck the power line right beside the highway I-10 that we were on, or uh, uh, 98, Highway 98, struck the power line on Highway 98, and all the electronics in my car completely went out. Car stalled. I said, I am not going to Brownsville. <laughs> If we're going to find out about it, we're going to find out from somebody else. But let me talk to you about some, because what I look for, what I want to know is, and again, I'm not the Debbie Downer of revivals, and I hope you're not receiving it that way. What I want you to understand is what revival is. Revival doesn't start because there's a movement in a building. Revival starts because there's a movement in a heart. 
I can tell you today revival is not going to exist simply because we as a people begin to attach it to a location. But here's some revivals that I think are fantastic. Y'all don't start yet. They're getting up there. They're shutting me down back here. But I want to give you three revivals that I think are fantastic. First Great Awakening. At the revival of Jonathan Edwards, Northampton, Massachusetts Church in 1734, this is what observers said. This is a quote from an unknown person who wrote in their journal. It pleased God to display His free and sovereign mercy in the conversion of a great to the lively exercise of every Christian grace and the powerful practice of our holy religion. The best definition I've ever heard comes from an unknown author. It turned these people from a formal, cold, and careless profession of Christianity. Are you a Christian? Yeah, I'm a Christian. Are you a believer? Yeah, I'm a believer. Yes! I couldn't be anything else. What else could I be? Aren't you? Instead it's, I understand if you're not. Oh, I don't expect you to, you know, get holy or anything. Fortunately for you, God's so full of grace. Enjoy your sinful life. Turning them from a formal, cold, and careless profession of Christianity to the lively exercise of every Christian grace and the powerful practice of our holy religion. Consider that Jonathan Edwards said he was in revival when only, listen to me, interesting, only six people were converted to Christ in the first five months of that meeting. Six People in his own journal, only six people came to Christ. He even questioned, why am I doing this? At that time, only one out of 15 people even attended church, which is 6% of the population. And then there's the urban revival of Dwight Moody in the late 1800s, and he preached over 2.5 million people, and many of them converted, converted to Christ over a period of years. And then there's the Azusa Street Revival. I'm going to tell you, this is, what's, uh, this is one of my faves, and I'll, there's a lot of reasons why it's my fave, because I'll tell you one of, the, one of the factors, one of the key points of revival is what I'm about to share with you. But he said, in the Azusa Street Revival in 1906, William Seymour, a black pastor, there's a reason I'm telling you that. There's a reason I'm saying that. In 1906, William Seymour, a black pastor, interviewed for a pastoral job in Los Angeles and was only allowed to preach one time. When they realized who he was... It was over. So he went down the road and he started a prayer meeting. And to accommodate the growing crowd, he moved to a Methodist church and the Azusa Street Revival began. William Seymour, a black pastor, is in every way considered the founder of the Pentecostal charismatic movement. In every sense of the word. He 
was the voice, not the founder, but he was the voice that initiated and triggered a people to come back to God. Why is it important that he was a black pastor? Because what's important here is that interracial people interracially began to gather. They didn't come into that building and say there's a black man on many over and over and over again. But one of the things that I look for and I've looked for for almost 24 years at the Rock of Central Florida true sign of revival is when a black man comes into a white building, a building that has mostly white people and he's not looking for the black group to sit with the black group or a white man goes into a black church and isn't looking for the white man to sit with a white group they're not saying those are my people and those are my people and they're looking to sit with their people but they're going in and they're not looking at the color of people's skins. A sign of true revival is when people suddenly realize it's not about my color, it's not about my past, it is about the condition of my heart. How bad do I want to know God? How badly does the individual want to know Him? There have been times even in this building where what I just said is a sign of revival did not exist. In the very beginning when the rock was first starting and we would have anybody that was black in nature, black in color, black, whatever you call it, culturally, whatever. They're, they're black. They're not African American. They're simply black just like I'm white. I'm very white, by the way. But they would sit in a group. I've been to one black church in my life and all the white people were sitting in a group. All of them. And it grieves me. And those of you that have been around the rock for very long, you know, the whole time the rock has been in existence, what I don't want is people finding one another because of color or culture. We find God because of spirit, because of passion. We find Christ because something rises up in us that says, I need to be a better man and to be a better woman. I need to be transformed. Webster's defines revival as an often highly emotional evangelistic meeting or series of meetings and the restoration of force, validity, or effect. You can be seated. But I prefer to define revival as was described by that unknown author who witnessed the revival of Jonathan Edwards in the 1700s. That author said it pleased God. People who were cold and passionless formal in every way appreciated the law more than they did the grace he turned them from that kind of person to the lively exercise of every Christian grace father you are able you are able you are able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that I could ask or think. You were able to move and to transform me into an image of who you are. And then lastly, let me close up with this. There are just I'm not going to read it all. I'm just going to say this. There are just too many empty pots in the kingdom today. Too many empty pots. Too many people 
trying to pour out. This is not judgment. This is an awakening. But trying to pour out. But there's nothing there. It's like me and my shampoo bottle in the shower this morning. I'm just shaking it, trying to just, just a little bit more. I just need a couple more drops. And that's the church today. We're trying to pour out. Is there anything Enns was trying to govern and Moses was trying to lead the people of Israel and it was becoming more and more difficult because of they were empty of a love for God. So Yahweh said, Moses, I'm going to take some of your spirit and I'm going to give it to some elders here. I'm going to share it with some other folks. I'm going to take some of your spirit and I'm going to share it with these folks. And it's going to help you. And what I'm going to do is I, I want you to begin to allow that spirit that is in you and I'm sharing with them, allow that to flow over. And in fact, at one point, one of the men came to him and he said, hey, there's some folks over there that didn't come to the meeting. But somehow they're prophesying and speaking out of the same spirit that's in you. And the response was, so let it be. Let the spirit of God flow. But fill your pot. Fill your pot. So when you go to work tomorrow morning, there's something to pour out. When you go to lunch today and you're sitting out there with me, you can lead me to Christ. You can be my doorway. In John 14, verse 12, it says, Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And in fact, greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. It is time for the body of Christ to turn from a formal, cold, and careless profession of Christianity to the lively exercise of every Christian grace and the powerful practice of our holy religion. It is time. It is time. It is time. It is time. Not for a hope of testimony to follow uh, revival, but for revival to follow the testimony, the testimony that God is at work in me. Somebody stand up in this house this morning. Come on, lift your hands in this room today. Father, I lift my voice over every man and woman that's in this building today. I lift my voice over those who define themselves and who have your grace today. I lift my voice over those that are filled with passion and fire. And I lift my voice over, voice over those who have no fire, no passion at all. Father, I lift my voice in the hungry and I lift my voice over the fed today. I lift my voice over the weak and I lift my voice over the strong today. And Father, I pray that by word and by spirit, we aren't defining something that we're hoping for, but we are that thing that we are believing we are. Let the church of God arise today. Let there be a testimony in the sons and daughters of God today of the grace of Jesus Christ at work in each of us today. Father, be glorified. You be glorified in every man and woman. Let there be a repentant heart today. Every move of the Spirit of God has been defined by a repentant heart. Father, let there be a repentant heart in each of us today.
May we come before you and say, Father, may I never show up on Sunday morning again simply because it's Sunday morning. But let me show up on Sunday morning because I am anxious. I am excited. I am passionate about seeing what else God might do. When I sit across the table from someone, let me never again hide behind a fear that I might not know Christ well enough. But every visitation that you set before me, may I enter into that visitation with confidence and with zeal and with passion. I don't have to be a scholar. I simply have to be a witness. A witness in my life and in my living and my doing. Father, be glorified in sons and daughters today. Be glorified in us today. Put your hands on yourself this morning. Say, Father, I come before you today. Make me alive again. Let me be a testimony. Let me be a witness. Set my feet on the course you've prepared. Help me to see what you want me to see. Help me to hear what you want me to hear. Forgive me for what opposes you in me. Replace it with what engages you and be glorified in my life. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, and amen. Come on, put your hands together in this place today. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody shout in this house today. So what I know is this. We cannot define revival by the condition of a place. It can only be defined by the condition of a heart. And I would ask you this morning to ask yourself, between you and the Father, what is the condition of yours? And if it is empty or void of Him, I want to tell you, He wants to fill it today. He wants to fill it today. He's given us opportunity over and over and over again. Let today be the day we buy it up and we do not sell it. Lay hold. Lay hold of the hope that is in the Father that all the earth will lift their voice, lift their eyes, shout out loud and declare that the glory of God reigns forever and ever and ever in the lives of his sons and his daughters. Father, I thank you today. Amen, amen, and amen. Come on, one more time. Put your hands together.